Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Uh, Before I start, I want to pray, but uh, I want to tell you while he's passing those out. So I've got a chunk of notes here that I have deleted and put back in and deleted and put back in and deleted and put back in like five times. And it's in right now, but earlier this morning it was out, and then I put it back in. And uh, I'm thinking a lot about the reason why I feel like this ought to be in here, so he's almost done passing those out, just want to explain a little bit of it. Um, You guys know what book of the Bible we're studying through right now? 1 Thessalonians, good. That would have been bad if nobody knew. Um, 1 Thessalonians, right? We're in chapter 4. Paul has shifted from his introductory thoughts, longest introduction of any of his letters, to uh, hitting into the practical areas in chapter 4. There's a commentator named G.K. Beale who summarizes the part that I'm looking at today. I'm going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. He summarizes this way. So I'm giving away the whole message right now, Okay. Here it comes. This will be the whole thing. Um, this was originally at the end of the message. I'm going to share his summary, but I'm giving it to you right at the beginning because I think there's something very important I need to say before I get to it, but you need to know what my thinking process is, hopefully. He says this. He says, Just as musicians practice privately in order, in order to be ready for public performance, Christians need to learn to live harmoniously with one another in love and to demonstrate that love to the public outside the church community. If the church, he goes on to say, if the church is not a truly loving entity acting out God's love in Christ for humanity, then those outside the church will never glimpse that love and be attracted to it. Now that's his summary of what I'm getting ready to preach on. Okay, so you might be looking at it going, how's that? Okay, so... I'm laying that down. But it dawned on me as I was looking at this that I thought, I don't know if everybody in here actually believes the importance of building a church in such a way where outsiders go, we want to be a part of that. I don't know about that. I think most of you would say yes. I don't know. I I felt like I need to talk about it for a minute. In fact, it's not just that I don't know about you guys. I mean, I think about the church as a whole, and I wonder, does, does, do, do Christians as a whole, do they go, what we've got is what everybody needs? I wouldn't be surprised if many of you thought somewhere in the back of your mind, maybe, and I'm not criticizing you at all for thinking this, okay? I'm just telling you, just thinking about it. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you thought, well, this church thing isn't really for everybody. I wonder if some might look at it and go, I mean, this is what I'm doing. But if if they don't, I think some of you are like, oh, no, 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 everybody needs this. But do you really, really believe that? That this is actually what we've got going on in church is actually what everybody needs. Needs. Do you actually believe that? Now, 
In order to help you think through that, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to give you a relevant example where I, I want to give you an example of how the gospel message is relevant to us and what's happening in our world. I want to give you an example. It's not out of 1 Thessalonians, but if I'm going to talk about this part in 1 Thessalonians where he's saying, you got to love everybody else so the people will see us and go, man, we want to be a part of that. But if you're sitting here going, I don't know if everybody really needs to be a part of that, that's not going to make any sense. So I'm going to give you an example where I think that might pull you in. But I'm going to pray first and ask that God would guide and direct what we say next. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for all that you've shared with us through your word. I thank you for what Christ has done. But now, Lord, I'm asking specifically that this morning you would fill me with your spirit in such a way that as I present your word and your truth that it would be accurate to what you would say to us. God, I pray now that you would be with each person in this room, that if that first part is true, and I'm presenting the truth of God to them, that they would hear that truth, or that they would understand it, or by your spirit, they would begin to apply it to their lives, even before they leave this room. I pray this now in Christ's name, amen. All right, so did you have any extras, or did you hand them all out? I'll take one of them, just to make sure I know what you got on there. All right, so I put on there some relevant scriptures that I don't have up on the PowerPoint. I put on the front, there's that quote I gave. On the inside, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2. Do you find, look right there, you see that Ephesians chapter 2 part. I'm doing this, I put this on here because uh, I know some of you are still new to finding things in the Bible, and I'm like, plus, I just want you to have this, and I know that you may not know this, you can actually write in your Bibles, right, if you need to, you can underline things, right, you, you know that already, but in case you're like, I don't know if I can do that, well, you can write on this piece of paper all you want, okay, not really any difference, but, all right, so, there is a solution, I believe, for something that is going on in our country, and I think across the globe, there is division all over the place. Would you agree with that? Yes. I've heard people say this is the most divided they've ever seen our particular country ever be in their lifetimes. I don't know if that's true or not, but I did read a poll that went out um, last week that said 34% of the people asked when they asked, do you think there's going to be a net, another civil war in this country? 34% of the people said yes. Like, Whoa. And I thought, maybe I should watch the news more. Maybe I'm watching it too much. I don't know. I don't want you to think at all that I'm being... I mean, this is, the, this, this is the part I was alluding to earlier, but I took it out and put it in, took it out and put it in, took it out and put it in. I don't want you to think at all. I, I took it out because I'm nervous that as I present this, some will see it as a cliche announcement. Because, see, I could easily just get up here today and go... Jesus is what the world needs. And I could probably get, if I said it loud enough and with enough oomph and the right like emphasis, I could probably get several amens. Amen. See? I knew I could. <laughs> but I want to move away from cliche into rock-solid truth. Is that actually true? I believe it is. 
Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to listen through here. I'm going to read a couple of these parts. I don't have time to break down this whole passage, but there's something very, very important right in the middle here. Paul the Apostle writes, he says, Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, right? You Gentiles that are in flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Now, short version, okay, because I, I wish I had more time to delve into that. Here's a reality for Paul's day. There was on multiple fronts racial tension. They wouldn't have called it racial. They would have called it tribal. Race wasn't a thing they thought about in those days. That wasn't a thing. It was tribal tensions. You're in this group. You're in this group. And people would have said, there's no way that Jews and Gentiles will ever get along. Okay? Keep that in mind with what Paul's saying. Verse 13, but now, love those words, by the way, verse 13, but, but now, but now, and this is, we're still in this now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, grafted into this kingdom, this people, the people of Christ. For he himself, verse 14, he himself is our peace. So think about just what this says so far. Where's peace? Is there a solution to the peace? Well, I think we ought to do this. 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 I'm telling you right now, there is peace, but it's in this person, Jesus. Not just what he says. Not just in his teachings, but actually in him. You might be going, uh, I don't get that. Okay, let's, let's keep going here. He himself is, what has he done? Notice it says it right here. In case you're wondering. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Would you say that there's a dividing wall of hostility amongst different people in our nation today? I don't think it's whether or not it's race. I mean, a lot of times it's other things, isn't it? Which group you've aligned yourself with? Ooh, those people. Ooh, those people. Right? Dividing wall, hostility. Jesus, one of the things that he accomplished on the cross. Now, we were talking about this earlier. One of the things he accomplished on the cross, he broke that down. Do you believe that? I mean, really, do you believe that? That he, he actually did that on the cross. Well, let's think a little bit deeper here. How did he do that? Verse 15. By abolishing... Yeah. Ain't she cute? Ain't she cute? Um, by abolishing... The law of, by the way, the word abolish means to destroy a system. I thought that was interesting. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance, abolishing, destroying this, a system of do, a system that requires perfection. And when there is no per perfection, 
It was a system of reparation, of consequence, of an eye for an eye, of a tooth for a tooth. That was that system. And what did Jesus do? He abolished that system. How? By ignoring it. And I will tell you, this is, there's two ways that I see humanity today trying to resolve the wall of hostility. One way is through reparation. You did this, I'm going to do this. The other way is you need to let it go. I'm going to tell you right now, neither one of those work. The only thing that can bear the brunt of generations of sin is the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? I mean, there are, there are things that have happened that I'm telling you what, I don't care what any of you think, blood ought to be shed. And guess what? It was, though. Christ. Arrested by the police unjustly, beaten, executed, bearing in that moment all sin. Christian perspective of forgiveness is not shallow. The weight of sin is born by Jesus Christ. And only those that can look to him can say, he can take it. And I'm telling you what, he can take it. The sin of the world, born on the cross. It goes on, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Think for a moment what is actually being said here. This is not a cliche statement that Paul is saying. He's saying that when, when reparations are needed, Christ has paid it. And only those that look to that on both sides join in this kingdom. And in Christ, there is one new kingdom. And it doesn't matter how they come in and what they've done in their past and what their grandfathers have done. It doesn't matter how far back it goes, who's done what to who and how. You know what? Christ bore in his body on that tree the sins of us all. Is that true? And that's the only thing that can bear the brunt. So I'm telling you right now, when I look out into the world and I go, man, we need to, and I, I hear a lot of Christians say, well, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this, and we need to do this. And I know that I sound like a cliche when I say it, but I say, no, 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 no. We need Jesus. You, you can't have true peace without him. You can have some false versions of it that last for a time, but they won't last forever, but through him, because he actually takes care of the debts on both sides. Does that make sense? So now, I have in there another passage, uh, Philemon chapter 8. 
or Philemon, there's only one chapter, verses 8 through 22. I have it in there. I'm not going to go through this one right now, but I, I want to reference it because I want you to think through because this was a real thing played out in people's lives. Philemon, if you don't know, Philemon um, was a slave owner. He had a slave that had escaped. His name was Onesimus. Onesimus had become a Christian. Philemon had become a Christian completely separate from each other. Paul had some interactions with Onesimus and through his interactions was sending Onesimus back to Philemon. But listen, just just capture the cross and, and what Christ has done in what he says to Philemon. He says, I'm sending him back to you. Go down to verse 16. He's sending him back to you. Uh, Actually, verse 15, he says, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. But listen, no longer as a bondservant, that's the Greek word that can also be translated slave, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord, family he comes back as. I love this, verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, Paul says to Philemon, receive him as you would receive me. It's interesting. I don't know what Onesimus did in the leaving, escaping process. Even if he thought it was justified, he must have done something that cost Philemon something. But notice what Paul says. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, you can charge that to my account. That's pretty awesome. Although I love what he says next. I just have to say this part. Paul, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing, by the way, to say nothing of you owing me even your own self, Philemon. That's honestly, that's Paul's way of saying, Philemon, it I know I'm saying that, but let's be honest, Philemon. If I hadn't come, I mean, I don't think this is arrogance on Paul's part, but he's basically saying, Philemon, if I hadn't come into your life and told you the good news is gospel, you'd be going on your way to hell still. You owe me your life. Really, you owe Christ your life. So when I say charge of my account, I've got, I've got all my stock in Christ anyway. He can bear that penalty. So you see that played out in an actual situation of life. Restoration. Not apart, not, not smoothing over, not spackling over, but true biblical restoration. Blood has been shed to make it happen. Now, I didn't think that I could talk about what Paul's talking about in Thessalonians if I didn't lay at least one example out there that this is a real solution to real problems. And it's not a cliche. It's not something that I can just go, well, we need to do this. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, if you get into conversations with me, and some of you know this from firsthand experience, if you get into conversations with me about what's going on in the world, I, I come back to Jesus each and every time, and I don't want you to think I'm doing it in a shallow way. Because I'm going tell you, there are some pastors that do that. Is that true? Well, we just need Jesus. <laughs> right? Am I going to do that? Maybe sometimes accidentally. <laughs> Just for the amen from my father-in-law. <laughs> amen, brother. Yeah. All right. 
But I don't want you to miss the, the, the realness of the, the peace that Christ offers. And when you're out there in the world, you can't say, they need this, they need this. They need this. They need, people need Jesus. This world needs Jesus. Pure and simple. You need to understand these kind of truths so that you can relay that to them. Because some people go, yeah, you need Jesus, but then you, they get out in the world and, and what they end up relaying is not really Jesus, it's, it's just glossing over things. You, you need to be digging into Scripture to understand how Jesus actually does solve these types of things. And he solved this issue. I heard people all the time, they go, I just don't know what we're going to do. I just don't know how, what's the solution? There's, it was solved. It really was in Christ. And you, my island of misfit toys, <laughs> and me, whether you like it or not, we're the ambassadors of this truth. And I know what you think. You go, God picked the wrong people. No, he didn't. In fact, I would make a real strong argument that he picked just exactly who he needed to convey that message. His people of misfit toys going into this world preaching peace, absurdity to the world. But it's still the peace of God. Does that make sense? Okay. Groundwork properly laid onto the message. Don't worry, the message is truncated, Bill. I won't. I'm going to do it full. I'm just kidding. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Starts off, now concerning. Does anybody need to get up and stretch or anything? You guys all good? Okay. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, Paul says. Now concerning means that Paul is addressing something that they must have said to him. Okay, so... Timothy had gone up, he'd come back, whether Timothy brought a letter or maybe he just brought some verbal questions that the Thessalonians had, uh, Paul's now addressing. That's what this now concerning is a way of Paul saying, I'm answering something that you asked about. Now concerning this thing that you brought up. And the thing he brings up is brotherly love. Brotherly love in this particular case is the Greek word Philadelphia. Right? Heard that one before, haven't you? Ben Witherington. Visitors, I always say Ben Witherington's name that way. I'm sorry. Ben Witherington III. Um, he's my favorite commentator right now. I just love saying his name. I don't know. Everybody, everybody else already knew that, but I figured you guys are like, what a weirdo. Um, <laughs> he's he's going to fit right in. Yeah. Um, the term Philadelphia, this is a little side note. Originally referred to love of one's own physical siblings. Like, love my sister Ashley, most days. Um, love of one's, that's what the word Philadelphia had to do with. It, it came to be known, Paul confiscated it, redeemed that word. It came to be known as the word that he would use to refer to that brotherly love amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, it's interesting that the word Philadelphia, uh, with that ending, um, unlike a different ending he could have used, is a great example of ancient, what we would actually call today, inclusive language, since it was applied to both brotherly and sisterly love. So Paul uses the word to say brotherly love. He's talking about brotherly and sisterly love, that we're to love each other like brothers and sisters in Christ. We say that all the time. I'm going to tell you right now, love my sister, love my mom, love my dad, but my bond that I have with you in the faith 
is greater than that. Faith is thicker for me than blood. Jesus actually teaches that concept when people are looking at following him. There's one verse in Luke chapter 14 that says, if anyone comes to me and does not, and he uses the word hate, not to say like you have to hate them, but he says, if anyone does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The, the bond that Jesus says you, you have for Christ is, is greater than any blood relationship that you have here. I don't remember who it was that said, I think it was Steve said it a minute ago. Uh, like when you started, you said something about hello family or something like that. There was, there's so much truth to that statement. That is what we in Christ ought to be. And that's what Paul's talking about. And Paul says to them, he says, um, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. So he's not giving them a new commandment. He says, I don't really need to write to you about this because you already know this. You see how the verse ends, the love one another, that's agape brought in. He brings in the agape, this unconditional, this family love you have ought to be unconditional is what he's saying. You got to love one another. You may remember the end of chapter three there was a message I call, and we talked about the unrestrainable madness of, anybody remember? Love, right? So Paul has just prayed for this, love, love each other and love everybody else out there. But now in, verse, or in chapter four, as he's getting to the, how do we do this? Like, how do we actually love people? I mean, to be honest, Matt, I heard that message, like, we got to love people. But then I went out and I met some people. I didn't love them. Right? Don't lie to me. I know it's true. Like, you probably walked out of this, but love people. And then you met somebody, and you're like, nope. Tapping out. Basically, they punch you in the face. Oh, John. (sighs) But now as Paul gets into the, how, how do we do that? He focuses entirely on the love, the, the one another, the, the brotherly, sisterly family of Christ's love. So, so how do we love the whole world? Well, it starts right here, I believe, is what he's teaching us. It starts right here. You try to figure out how to love those people. Let's start by loving these people. I know you're probably looking around going, that's still pretty tough, Matt. <laughs> and this is where we start. This is where we're going to start. We're going to start loving these people around us. So how do you love them? You start here. Paul actually says this. He uses the phrase. I think I've skipped something here. Verse 9. Where's my verse 10? For yourselves have been loved. Oh, have been taught by God. I'm sorry. I knew it was in there. This is the first time in all of Greek literature that this, this word is ever used. That it's taught by God is actually God taught. That's what it says. First time in Greek literature this word is ever used. It gets coined by Paul. And he's basically saying, I mean, you've been God taught. I believe he's referring to when he was there teaching. It's a way of him saying, the things that you learned that I taught you was from God, not from me. Okay? Verse 10. For that is indeed, oh, here we go. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So he says, okay, Thessalonian church, in which you may remember back at the beginning of chapter 1, the Thessalonians were loving everybody. Paul then says, you got a brother love, you got to do it unconditionally. And then he says, for that is indeed what you are doing. To all the brothers throughout Macedonia, you're doing, you're doing this. Great job. You think Paul would leave well enough alone. What great job. I told you to love everybody, you're loving everybody. Keep on. But what's he do? 
What's he say next there? But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. You see that right there? You're doing a great job. Not just keep at it, do it more. So if you're sitting in here, I don't care what level. Okay, now some of you, some of you are up here. You love people. My wife, she is up here somewhere. She loves people. Now you're going, uh-uh. I, all those people you count, they're all going, she does. They're crying already. <laughs> She's like, angelic love. Her name is Charity. <laughs> Move along. Except for me. Okay. Love. But there are and you probably know some people that just... And then there's some of you in the room that you're like right here. Love most people. You got some of you are like, I met a guy one time I loved. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Great guy. Best friend I ever had. I'll be honest, I'm, I, I fluctuate in this area sometimes. I won't call any names of others that, no, no names will be mentioned, that are over here like, don't even really like people. <laughs> but Paul, his statement is to every single one of you, wherever you're at on this scale, do it more. So if you're over here like, I'm just kind of getting used to like, just talking to people. Okay, grow at it. L- love them more. Find more ways to do this. If you're up here and you're like, you're loving, you're just showing that love to everybody. You're not off the hook. Grow. I think you will see, and to be serious for a moment, I, I called my wife out on this. She is a very loving person, but I think you'll notice that even when, when I was saying that, she, she, she knows, she looks, she doesn't see herself, that she sees there's room to grow. And no matter where you're at on this scale, there is room to grow. Not a one of you has yet died on the cross. So there's room to go, isn't there? And Paul teaches us, he says, we urge you brothers to do this more and more. Verse 11 does not start a new sentence. Some versions of the Bible actually has a sentence at the end that starts a new sentence. It actually really does start with and. It's part of the same sentence. So there must be some connection. So this brotherly love, do it more and more. And, and he shifts right into this. Aspire to live quiet. I'm just going to look at this first part here for a moment. Aspire to live quietly. Now, the word aspire is an interesting word in the Greek language because the philosophers in Paul's day would use the word aspire to say someone was trying to achieve uh, something in society. They're trying to move up in society or in, in politics. And so you have philosophers like Plutarch was one that he basically, and they all kind of agree with this. Anybody he said that once, Plutarch said, anybody that says that they want to aspire to anything can, and he actually said, can never be quiet. I thought, man, he was talking about reality TV. <laughs> Before it happened. Anybody who wants to aspire, you can't be quiet. And, that, and I, I see that the world operates that way. If you want to go to here, even if it's for great purposes, and Plutarch was talking about philosophically, even if you go, I want to get to this spot because I think I can do some good in this spot, 
that the way that the world says to do go from here to here is to not be quiet. But here Paul says, right here, aspire. And what are you aspiring to? Actually, aspire to live quietly. So Plutarch, philosopher, if you want to aspire, you can't be quiet. Don't live quietly. He actually uses the same words. If you want to aspire, don't live quietly. Paul says, you should aspire to live quietly. Interesting thought. Says this next. Now, remember, this must be connected to society of brotherly love, loving each other, right? Must be connected. Says note. Uh, says next here, and to mind your own affairs. Uh, uh, I told Charity to this today, for those of you that have done your Bible studies, the word mind is the Greek word proso. So those of you that are in the proso Bible study, you'll know that it can, can also be translated practice, set your mind, like you're doing something, accomplishing something, set your mind to your, and the word affairs isn't actually in there. It literally just says, put, accomplish, practice your own. So some versions say your own affairs, some say your own business, Mind your own. That's what it says, literally. <laughs> right? Some of you going, mind your own business. That's what it says, uh, literally. Mind your own. Mind your own. And to work with your hands. Now, this doesn't have to mean manual labor. But I'm telling you right now, it doesn't not mean that. Do something. Work. Puts new meaning to chapter 1, verse 3, where Paul tells the Thessalonians, I noticed your labor prompted by love. What was the labor he was talking about? There was, there was work happening that was prompted by love. I think there's some connection here. They're working because of love. But catch the purpose of this at the end of this verse. All right, he says, as we instructed you, but look at the next verse. I'm sorry, not this verse, but the next verse, verse 12 gets to the why. This circles it back around. So that now, I'm going to tell you right now. This is not the one and only way to get the message of Christ out there. This is a, think of it as a piece of the puzzle. There are times when as Christians we cry out in the streets and we are not quiet. But I would argue that even in that crying out, it's supported by a meek and quiet life to back it up. And I think that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Remember the first time I ran across this passage of Scripture, I actually wrote it out, and I had it on my desk um, as a young teacher when I first started teaching. What's it say? Aspire to live quietly, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands. I get a real nose-to-the-plow sense here. Does that make sense? I mean, we live in farm country. Hopefully you guys are like nose-to-the-plow, right? Get, get into it. How does this connect with this brotherly love? I think that one of the ways that we see it illustrated right here this, and be dependent on no one. We're not depending on others for things that you're not, not a burden to those in the church. And there's times when some of you are like, I'm in need and others are, are helping. But what's your goal in that moment? Your goal is to not to remain in need for the rest of your life, but to move out of that place of need so that you can then begin looking at others. How can I help them? Some of you like to talk about, oh man, I start out with nothing. I used to eat. Bologna sandwiches without bologna. 
That's how poor we were. Right? Man, you've worked. You've worked. You've worked. You got, you're, you're accomplishing. I'm telling you, God has not allowed you to build this up so that you can just go, I'm going to enjoy it. But to maybe help others. Specifically in the church. Why? Because if you're going to go out into the world and say there's a solution to the problems that you're facing and it's Jesus, if you do that and you're a, you're a selfish jerk, loudmouth jerk, they're not going to listen to you. I want to get an amen on that one. Let me say that again. Oh, me. <laughs> you ought to, as, as God's people, aspire to live quietly. Mind your own business. Work with your hands. So, so you're not de- dependent on anybody else for the purpose of what? So that you might be walking in such a way that we might be walking in such a way that people might look and go, man, those Christians. Something there. That's the real deal. And then you have the opportunity to say, let me tell you about Jesus. If you start talking about the peace of Jesus Christ and the peace that he offers through the cross, and you have not been demonstrating that in your life by being a peaceful person, people are going to look at you and say, you're blowing hot air. I don't care what you say. If you demonstrate peace, and then you preach peace, people will hear. I'll say, I want that. I want that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do want to thank you, God, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that you came to this earth, died on a cross, an unjust death, but a death that met the justice of God. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that you have then offered us peace to be grafted into your kingdom, to be one of your people. Lord, we as a whole have not always demonstrated that peace that Christ offers. Help us, Lord, to adjust. Wherever we're at on the scale of of love, help us to do it more and more. Help us to set our sights on that quiet life, for it's the meek who will inherit the earth. Let us begin to demonstrate that this week. Lord, I pray for each soul in this room, wherever they're at on their, their path towards following you and loving you, I pray that this today, this passage would be their, their goal, their aspiration, that they would be, now begin to, like Paul tells them to, to aspire to live that quiet life, to mind their own business, to work with their hands, but for the goal of presenting in a a tangible way the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray these things now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys are all dismissed. Thank you so much.